hello. Happy uh, Independence Day weekend to you. I am so glad to be here. Uh, back a few uh, months ago or a month ago or so, when uh, my dad and I hatched this plan, um, I thought, well, that'll be cool. And so to be here now and to, uh, to know that I get the chance to uh, bring the Word of God to you this morning, I'm so, I'm so excited to, to do that. And I uh, just hope you're having a great weekend. Uh, we're a couple days in, right? We get tomorrow still. And uh, so hopefully you all have plans. I asked one person here this morning if they had plans this weekend, and they said, no, just chilling. And so uh, if those are your plans, those are great plans. I hope that's, uh, that's the case for you. I'm so, so glad to be here. I have, uh, this is a cool privilege for me, because uh, as you know, as Stephen said here uh, just a moment ago, uh, Ken Pierpont is your pastor, and he is my dad. And I consider him uh, my pastor as well. I was thinking about it, and I realized I've sat under thousands of his messages. I got the calculator out, and kind of hard to figure out, you know, because I've gone to camps with him. My, uh, my oldest, Kyle, our oldest son, is, is off at camp with him this week at, at Camp Barakel, and uh, probably in their, their final chapel session right now. But uh, I've gone to camps with him, heard him speak at camps all over the place, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, most of my life. And so thousands of messages, right, uh, heard him preach. And so to be here in, uh, in his, on his uh, platform, not his, but the platform where he preaches on Sundays, uh, and to be with his people, you all, is a, is a huge privilege. And I'm so, so grateful and so honored to be here. And uh, I talk with my dad weekly. Uh, almost almost daily, and uh, m- all, all the time we're on the phone, and he is he is uh, hardly ever a conversation goes by where he's not mentioning something about this place, and about Evangel, and about the people of Evangel Baptist Church uh, in Taylor, Michigan, and and so I know he just loves you and pours his life out uh, here, and um, and so again for me to be here this morning is is a privilege to me, and I'm so glad to to have, be able to spend these next few minutes with you. Uh, I don't do this all the time, so one thing you can probably count on is that it won't be very long. And so you can all clap right now if you want to. (laughs) That guy was too eager right there for this to be over with. Uh, But I do have something that I want to share with you this morning that I think is uh, absolutely one of the most important things in all of life. Uh, It's not something that I have have become uh, great at. It's not something I've mastered. It's something that I live... Uh, I try to live out, and I have a desire for it. So as I preach this to you today, know that I am, uh, I, it's preaching, I'm preaching it to myself as well. I have a desire to live like this. And, uh, and so what I want to do is, uh, as I want to I talk to you about something, you know, talk about my dad and listening to his messages, right, and knowing his stuff. Uh, we have become, my, my, uh, my family is here today too, brothers, many brothers and sisters, and we have become experts on my dad's teaching. The reason I know this is because we were tested a couple, couple days ago. Uh, we get this, you know, group text going back and forth, and we had this big group text going with all of our brothers and sisters. My dad was speaking at camp, and, uh, at a, and, and he, he was kind of uh, starting his, his key teachings, these teachings that he's taught all over the place that we've heard so many times. He would text the first line of this teaching and one of us, whoever could text the fastest, or whoever Siri, you know, get Siri to talk fastest, would text back and finish the, uh, the last line of his key teaching. We did this 
for several, several teachings, he would text out, you know, what's the grandmaster key of life? And we would text back, you know, the answer, love God and love people. Uh, we would, you know, what, one after another, we would text these things back and forth. And so we passed the test. We realized that we were experts on my dad's teaching. And uh, speaking of experts, I want to talk to you today about an expert that's found in the Bible. Um, you can turn there if you want to. Uh, just leave it open in your lap. This is a narrative, and so I want to treat it like a narrative this morning. I want to kind of walk through this uh, passage in the, in the Scripture. It's Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking mainly from 25 on. But uh, what I'd love to do is for you to think about this expert in the Bible. Uh, they said he was an expert in Luke 10. He says he's an expert in the law, expert in Jewish, Jewish law. Uh, the, the, the passage here calls him a lawyer. Uh, but he wasn't the kind of lawyer that you think of uh, when I say lawyer. Not the kind that kind of like goes to court with you, right? And uh, he's the, it's the kind of lawyer that uh, is, in, in, in this time, in this, uh, in this passage of Scripture, he was a, uh, an expert on Jewish law. He knew the ins and outs of Jewish law. What it was, how to live. He, he made sure people uh, would abide by this law. That's the kind of lawyer uh, that... Is, is, uh, is, is, is in this passage of Scripture. And what it is, is it's, a, it's an interaction between this lawyer and Jesus. And you've all heard about this many times. You've probably read this story. You know this accounts. Uh, and you've, you've read it several times. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not. And so this will be fresh and new for you. Uh, but if you, if you have, what I'm going to ask you to do today is try... Uh, to allow yourself to walk through this interaction between this man and Jesus, between this lawyer and Jesus, and to walk through this uh, with fresh eyes and maybe think about it uh, differently and allow it to affect you in the way that it has affected me as I've looked at it this week. And so I uh, just want just to walk through this together, and, and I want you to, to think about it. And it, was a, it was a story, interaction between a man and and Jesus, and I want you to get the picture of where where we are. We don't have all the details, <clears throat> but we have a lot of the details that can kind of get us uh, maybe a, a picture of where they were. They're in a, and probably in a synagogue in Jerusalem. Uh, I have a map that I'll refer to uh, a couple times, and so you can throw that map up on the on the on the uh, screen here, and you see there's Jerusalem. Uh, that's probably where they are in this in this story. They're in Jerusalem. And uh, they're in a synagogue. Jesus is teaching. It could be the temple, but it's probably a synagogue. And so there are many people sitting around there that are, uh, again, experts in the law, that know the law, and they're listening to Jesus teach. And it says that at one point, that a man stands up. This lawyer, this expert in the law, stands up. And he addresses Jesus by saying, Teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life. It's kind of another way of saying, what do I need to do to make sure I'm good with God? And so Jesus looks back at him, and his answer is, well, kind of like, you're, you know, you're an expert in the law, so uh, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? And the man's answer is, is a good answer. He answers back, and he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus looks at him and he says, you're right. That's where it is. And then I like to imagine, I think, I can kind of feel in this passage that the man has a pause. After he hears the answer that Jesus gives him, which is, you're correct, kind of pauses because he has another question that he's about to ask Jesus. I think this question gets at the heart of what I'd like to just talk about for a few minutes today. The question that he asks next, I believe he asks with a different tone of voice. Again, doesn't say that, but when we use our imagination, we can kind of think about what's going on in that room. We think about what's going on in the heart of this man. I believe he's asking a question that he really, in his heart, wants to know the answer to. See, he's, a, he's, a, he's an expert in the law. He's a lawyer. He's probably a detailed person. You know those kind of people? Detailed people that they kind of like to know the, you know, black and white. They like to know the details on things. They want to know exactly how they need to act and what they need to do. I think that's this kind of guy. And so this question that he asks next is, as again, I think out of his heart saying, what do I, what do I need to do? Because his next question is this. Who's my neighbor? See, he knows that the, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he wants to know, well, who is it that I have to love then? Who's my neighbor? It's a key, a key question. And I love the way Jesus deals with people. I love the way he answers. Um, when I was a kid, I would always you know, take my Bible. And the, my favorite part of the Bible were the red letters, the part where Jesus was talking. Because I loved his stories. I loved how he interacted with people. And this is the same thing here in this story. I love how Jesus answers this man's question. I think Jesus understands, obviously, he can feel the tension in the moment, the, the, the heart of this man having a desire to know who is it that I am supposed to love. And so Jesus answers his question by telling him a story. Again, I think you've heard this story often. You heard this story if you grew up in church. You heard it in Sunday school. You've heard it in church. And so I want to just remind you, again, think about this story as we kind of walk through it together, think through it together. Allow this story to be fresh to you. And remember where they are. Remember the setting where they are. Because Jesus answers this question, who's my neighbor? By telling him this story. He says a man was walking along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Right there is about a 14-mile walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. As soon as he said those words, a man was walking along the path from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everyone in the room there would have known, oh, we know that road. They would have realized what he was talking about. That road was a very dangerous road. It was, a, it, was a, it was a hard road to walk because there was about three to 4,000 feet elevation change. Uh, depending on where you were going, up or down, it was a tough walk. It was loose, loose gravel, sand. It was, uh, a mountain. It was in a mountain, uh, on a mountain. And so it was a tough road to walk. Not only was it physically tough, but it was dangerous. It was dangerous because it was a place where thieves would hang out. It was a great spot to hide if, they were, if you were a thief because you could jump out, uh, rob people of their, of their things, 
and, and get away without anybody finding you. And so as soon as he said a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, everyone, there would have been an understanding in the room that this was a dangerous place to walk. And sure enough, he says that this man walking along the trail was robbed. Thieves jumped out. They beat him up. They took everything that he had, and they left him for dead. He said that this story, he says that, that a man was walking along the path. So you get that picture in your mind. A man laying on a path, half beaten, or half dead, beaten to the point of, of almost death. Understand kind of what a gruesome picture that is. And a man is walking along the path, and he comes along uh, this man. This man has been, been beaten. And he is, uh, he's a priest. The priest says a priest was walking along the trail. Now, a priest was a leader a leader in the, in the, in the religious, uh, a religious leader in the, in, the, in the temple, in the synagogue. And so everyone would have thought, man, if it's a priest, I'm sure that he's going to find some help for this person that was beaten and left for dead. But it says that the priest came up on the man who was beaten. And what does he decide to do? Instead of help, he decides to just go ahead and pass by. It says that a little later on, there was a Levite. A Levite was also someone who helped lead people in, in worship. He was a, religious, was a religious leader. It says that the Levite also came up to the man who was beaten and left for dead. And you would think a Levite would, would help, right? A person that was a religious leader would, would help this person who was beaten. But no, it says the Levite also passed by, kept going. And then he uh, says another person was on the, on the road, walking along on the road. And this person, he says, was a Samaritan. Now, as soon as he said those words, there would have been an, uh, a change in the, in the feeling of the room. The whole entire room would have just had this awkward kind of pause. Because he was in a room filled with Jewish people in Jerusalem. And he said a Samaritan walked up on this man who was beaten. Some Jews hated Samaritans. Jew, Jewish people in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, would have, would have hated Samaritans. And the reason is uh, because it was, for, it, was, uh, it was a centuries-long hatred. It had started hundreds and hundreds of years ago when land was divided up. But it, was, it, was, uh, it became worse when they came into captivity. So Jerusalem was captured uh, by, by uh, Babylonians. And uh, you may remember that from your, from your classes or from Sunday school, but when Babylon captured uh, Jerusalem, their tactic was to take all of the Jewish people and take them and send them away off to uh, another place. And so they would take the, the Jewish people and export them out. Now, Samaria was uh, farther north, as you see on the map here. Samaria was north of Judea, of Jerusalem. And they were attacked and uh, taken captive by Assyrians. Assyrians' uh, method of conquering a, a nation was different. They would conquer by infiltrating the area with other Assyrians. They would import, instead of export, they would import Assyrian people into that area. And they would mix with them by marrying them 
and bringing their culture in. And so you had Jewish and Gentile people mixed together in Samaria. And that's how the Assyrians overtook Samaria. And years later, uh, a group of Jewish people were allowed to come back to Jerusalem and to rebuild Jerusalem. And they did. And so the Jewish people in Jerusalem had a, uh, had a disdain for the, people, the Jewish people in Samaria because they were a mixed race. They were uh, people that were not uh, pure Jewish people like they were. And so they looked at them that way. And they had a hatred. They had a hatred for Samaritan people. And so understand that in in this moment in the story, when Jesus says a Samaritan walks up, they're really wondering what Jesus is going to say. Because he knows that. He knows that there's a hatred in the room for for those people. And so he says a Samaritan walks up on the person that is beaten and half dead. The man that is laying on the ground, bleeding, what does the Samaritan do? It says that he has compassion. He stops. And he has compassion on this person that's dying. He actually takes some of his own clothes and rips them up for bandages. He takes his own oil that he has with him and addresses the wounds of this man who is beaten. He puts this bleeding man who is dying on his own mule. And he takes that man and he finds care for him. He takes him and he finds a room for him to stay. He pays for that room. And he tells the the innkeeper before he leaves, he says what? I'll cover all the costs that are incurred for for taking care of this guy. And so he shows that he has love for this man. He takes care of him. He uses his own money, his own stuff, and his own time. It was an interruption to this guy's travel. But he, he did. He stopped and he took care of this person who was dying. And so Jesus uh, tells him this story. Remember, it's, a, it's in, re, in, re, in a reply. It's a, in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. He gets to uh, the end of the story. And the way he uh, answers the question is by asking the man a question back. The question is this. So, in this story, which of the three men proved most to be a neighbor? What was the man's question? Who is my neighbor? What was Jesus' question? Who proved to be a neighbor? Jesus flips this question around. He takes the man's question and he flips it around. He just says, it's the man asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, are you a neighbor? The man asks, who's my neighbor? He says, be a neighbor. I think this story is a, is a beautiful story of what Jesus wants for us to do. See, he asked the man, who is most like a neighbor? And the guy's answer, he's not even able to say the Samaritan. He says instead what? He goes, the one who showed mercy. I really believe that Jesus wants us to understand this, this truth. He wants us to know how, what his heart is about loving people. See, he took that moment in that synagogue with those people, and as Jesus did so often, he, he stirred things up. 
He made them think differently. And so if I could do one thing today, I would love to just point us to this passage, point us to what Jesus did, so that maybe for some of us here, we could think differently about how to live. That's what I, I want for myself. See, I need this. I need this so much. I love the fact that we sang songs to, today about Jesus' love for us because we can't do this perfectly, can we? We can't love people the way Jesus has called us to love people perfectly. At least I know I don't. I pass up opportunities to love people all the time. So often I'm the priest or the Levite, right? Passing people by. But I have a desire to think differently about this. And I have a desire for us here to think differently about this today. And so, I want us to hear that story. I want us to hear those questions. Because I think we ask the same questions. We ask that question that the, that the lawyer did. Who, uh, so who is it that I, I have to love? Please tell me, who, what, is it, what, is the, what, are the, what are the rules? What are the, the laws that I need to follow so that I know I'm good with God? We tend to ask those questions. And I think Jesus will answer us. I know he answers us the same way. When we ask those questions, he answers us the same way by saying, go be a neighbor. Be a person who loves people. I love, I know that it's, it's uh, on purpose that God put these law, this, the great command, the law together to love God and to love people. They go together. They're meant to be together. Love God and love people. Because it's so close to God's heart. It's so close to how Jesus lived. That's how Jesus lived his life on earth, and that's how he calls us to live our lives. If we love God, we will love his people, love the people that he created. And so, uh, and so I need this, and I believe you need this today. And so what I want to do, just, uh, just for a couple moments before we go, is uh, just kind of give you some stories about how we can do this. Stories about how I've seen it, uh, seen it done. And I want to give you some scripture on it because the Bible is absolutely crystal clear that this is an important uh, subject, such an important thing to think about. And so I want to read those to you. You don't have to turn to these uh, because I'm just going to read through them quickly. But I want to give you just a quick taste of what the Bible has to say about loving people and how clear it is. John 13, 34 says, a new command I give to you. This is Jesus talking. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Matthew 5, 44 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 13, 8 says, let no doubt remain outstanding. Except the continuing, or I'm sorry, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. I love that. Follow the way of love. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, 
Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't just talk about loving people, but put some action behind it. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to good works, to love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then Proverbs 15, 17. I love this one too. It says, Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. I like that because it shows us we can even give food in love. We can gather around food no matter, no matter what, whether it's a humble, just a side of vegetables or a fattened calf, as long as it's with love. That's how God wants us to live. God made us, I believe, with this longing to love in our, in our hearts. We fail at it, but I really believe naturally we want it because God made us to love people. I, uh, how many of you have, have seen Tom's shoes? You've seen Tom's shoes, like maybe you have some Tom's shoes. Um, it's a shoe company that came out maybe about 10 years ago. And uh, they, they have made a, a, they've, they've made a big splash. They're popular, um, and a lot of people like Tom's. And they're real simple, just simple shoes. Um, if you haven't seen them, uh, look them up. They're, they're a pretty cool company. But I read something recently that I found interesting, and that was that they have, uh, in a recent study, people have, uh, uh, business leaders have found that Tom's is a more popular company than Nike. So Nike makes a lot more money, right? They're a lot bigger, and they've been around for a lot longer. They actually, Nike actually spends over $3 billion in marketing every year. Uh, but Tom's has a higher rating in popularity. And they said the reason that this is true is because Tom's is mo- about more than just making money. Tom's was started with the idea that when they sell one pair of shoes, they're going to give a pair of shoes away to somebody uh, in another country who doesn't have shoes. And so they have given over, uh, they've given millions of pairs of shoes away uh, since they started the company. Um, since they have uh, made, done so well with shoes, they've branched out and they uh, provide eyesight. They sell sunglasses, and so when they sell a pair of sunglasses, they are able to do a surgery for someone who has, uh, who's lost their eyesight in another country, and they provide eyesight to the people uh, in, in, two, uh, in other countries. Um, they also sell coffee now, which uh, is their, their way of giving water, clean water, to, company, or to, uh, to countries who need clean water. And so they've given, uh, they've given away so much. They don't make nearly as much in one year as Nike spends in one year in marketing. But people, they're more popular. People like them because, and I believe it's because we are all naturally wired with this desire to love other people. We have this, uh, this wiring from God to love people. And so it's, it does us good, right, when we know we can give to something who's going to, to help people. And I think it's, that's why. It's because God has wired us that way. I uh, heard a story about a guy who recently went up north uh, with his family. 
he went up north to go canoeing and to do some camping and uh, stopped in a, in a gas station along the way to grab some potato chips and, uh, you know, some waters for the family. And uh, he gets them in his, in his arms, and he goes up, and he sits them down on the counter. And uh, as he's about to pay, he sees a guy next to him who has a drink, and he's uh, looking like he's thumbing through his, his uh, hand and trying to find enough change to get this drink. And so uh, the guy has this immediate compulsion to uh, buy his drink for him. And so he takes the drink, he slides it over, and has the girl scan it. He slides his card, and he takes the can and slides it back over to the guy without saying a word. The guy didn't even notice right away. The girl behind the counter smiled. The guy takes his potato chips and water, goes to his family, gets in the van, starts up the van, and as he's driving away, this guy is coming out of the gas station. He cracks open his drink, takes a big drink of it, and smiles and waves to the guy in the van. It's a story of loving somebody. It was a, just a simple gesture of love. See, I think God brings us, brings these chances along, these opportunities. I think he brings them along every day. The question for us is, do we see them? Are we going to pass by them? Or are we going to love people? Are we going to have compassion on them? There's a quote that I love to... Uh, Actually, I heard this quote from your pastor, my dad. He says, don't look for people to love you. Look for people to love. Don't look for people to love you, but look for people to love. We do that, don't we? We have, we have a desire to be loved, and that's, that's good. That's fine. But sometimes we make that the goal. We can, we can change that by looking for other people to love. It'll, you know, you can always uh, ask God for opportunities, too, and he will bring them to you. Uh, the other day, I, had, uh, this, I woke up, and I had this, this guy in my church on my mind. He's going through uh, just really, really tough uh, marriage issue right now. And, uh, and I woke up thinking about him. And I just, you know, I felt like God wanted me to get in touch with him. And so it's one of those things where it's like, is that really God or, you know, am I just kind of, just coincidence? And so um, I didn't do anything about it right away, but it happened a couple of times. Roger came to my mind and I thought about sending him a quick text. And so I went and got my phone and I uh, went to text him. And I'm not kidding. As soon as I had my, I picked up my phone, I got a text from that man. And he said, today is really tough. Can I give you a call? Can we talk? And I just had this moment where I realized that was from God. God gave me uh, an opportunity to love somebody. So I called him up immediately. We had a, had a good talk. I feel like I was able to encourage him, able to help him, able to remind him of what God wanted him to do that day. And I realized that God gives us these opportunities when we are open to him. We need to ask him. He'll be faithful to give us these opportunities if we, if we ask him and if we allow God's spirit to remind us that these are, these are opportunities from him. And then to be the one that has compassion, not to keep going on. We, uh, this, uh, this summer we have a neat opportunity. So uh, we're, we live in Grand Rapids. We moved there about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And uh, I'm a pastor at a church uh, called Ada Bible Church. And so when we, when we got there, uh, we, it was a couple of weeks in, we met a family 
Uh, his name is Kevin, and his wife's name is, is Meg. And uh, we met them, and we got to talking, and they were like, hey, you know, we have a pool. Uh, you guys should come over and use it this summer. And we were new to town, and so we were like, you know, okay, cool, that sounds good. You never know if people really mean that, though, you know, or they're just being nice. And, uh, and so we, we said, okay, and, and they walked away, and uh, somebody saw what had happened, and they came over, and they were like, did they offer you to use their pool? And uh, they said, we said, yeah, and they go, take them up on it, do it. They mean it, and it's a nice pool. And uh, <laughs> so we did. We, uh, we went over there, and uh, sure enough, this is a beautiful place. Just an incredible, uh, they've, been, they've, uh, they've made a lot of money in life, and uh, they have a beautiful home on seven acres in Grand Rapids, and this pool was just beautiful. And so we enjoyed uh, going over there, and my wife, uh, is, my wife is Elizabeth, she's right over here, she loves to be in the sun, and she loves water. And so this pool was especially uh, something that she loved. And so uh, they, she, you could quickly, we could tell, they were like, come back over anytime. And so my wife took them seriously. And she was there often, especially last summer. Uh, we were figuring out where to live. We were kind of living in different places. And so it was a great place to be able to go and, and to, to hang out. And so she was there so much that Kevin kind of jokingly called her his pool attendant. And she spent the whole lot of the summer there. And uh, something that we noticed when we were there is that this place was, in, it was unique. It was, uh, you know, beautiful home, but it was unique in that it was, it was never, uh, it was, there were people always there. The doors were always open. Literally, the doors to their house are always unlocked and open. People would come and go like crazy. People would be like, who is this person? Oh, I don't know. Um, they know the, they know Kevin and Meg, <laughs> and uh, they know him from this place or that place, and they just a revolving door of people coming and going, using the pool, going in the house, and literally going in the house and grilling up grilled cheese, and coming back out and sitting by the pool, getting you know plates and dishes out of their house. I mean, these people are incredible. If I had a home like that, I would be very tempted to be very careful with it and make sure that I knew who was coming and going. And so it's been an incredible uh, lesson for me. And it's kind of interesting because uh, they have, a, they have a two pillars that are kind of like at the, you know, out at the uh, opening to their driveway. It's this big, long driveway. And on the, on the pillars are hinges for gates. And, uh, but the gates are not there. The hinges are entirely rusted up. The gates are not there. It's wide open. And I think it's a cool picture, a symbol of how Kevin and Meg live. Their house and their stuff and their time and their money is God's. They, gave, they give it to God and they live wide open. So wide open that we, uh, I saw them in a, a coffee shop early this spring. And we're living right now, we're living in a condo. Uh, we're renting a condo over in Grand Rapids. The market's crazy over there. We can't find a place to buy. And so we're, uh, we're renting this condominium. It's a God's gift to us. We're really thankful for it. But uh, there's no yard. There's nowhere to play for the boys. And so, you know, when we send them outside, we kind of have to go with them. And, you know, if you're parents, you've been parents, you know how nice it is to be able to say, just go out and play. And they can go out and just have a great time and you don't have to worry about them. We can't do this at the condo. 
there was one space across from us that had a big opening, a big lot that was open. And this spring they broke ground and they're building a condo there as well. And so there was no place for the boys to really go play. And so we were kind of thinking, man, this summer is going to be a little bit rough, you know, like nowhere for the boys to go play. I know it's first world problems, right? But um, anyways, we were kind of thinking, man, it would be nice to have a place for the boys to play. We'd love to be able to buy a place or get a, get a place to stay. Well, uh, I saw Kevin and Meg in a coffee shop early this spring. And Meg comes up to me and she goes, hey, uh, the apartment in our house is open for two months this summer, for June and July. Would you guys like to live there and, uh, you know, just kind of like play with the dog, get the mail for us when we're gone, and use the pool? <laughs> so it took us about, oh, two seconds uh, to, to, to give them our answer. And I called my wife up and I said, you're not going to believe it, but uh, Kevin and Meg have invited us to live in their home. And so that's where we are right now, staying in this, in this apartment and using their pool. And, uh, and the boys are running on this property. And it's just uh, a beautiful picture to me of, some, of a family who lives their life just wide open. They love people and they use their money, they use their stuff, and they use their time to, to love people. Sometimes I think about it, you know, I'm like, I don't, have, I don't have that much money. I don't have a lot of money to be able to, to give away. Or maybe it's my time, you know. I don't have a lot of time. I'm busy, like I'm working full time. And then when I get home, I want to be with my family, you know. I don't want to, sometimes you have to invest time. And your schedule has to change in order to love people. A good reminder is that God gives us what we need. I have to be reminded of that a lot. Maybe I don't feel like I have the money to give away. God will provide that money for us. He says that he'll give us everything that we need, and I think he will us. Is, is, is when we're living the way God wants us to live, he will take care of us. If we feel like we don't have the time, he's going to provide the time. He's going to allow us to figure that out and make that time. He'll, he will give us the resources that we need in order to obey him. We can be sure of that. I believe God has called us to live this way. I uh, opened the drawer in this apartment the other day and I saw a, uh, a guest book. And, uh, I opened the guest book up and just pages and pages and pages of people from all over the world that have stayed in this apartment that have experienced the love of Kevin and Meg. And there's a common theme in everything that I've read in this, in this guest book. The common theme is, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for the hospitality. It's been a great picture to me of how to live. I want to live more like that. There's a man named Bob Goff. He wrote a book called Love Does. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend uh, getting a copy of that book as fast as you can. And uh, even if you read Kindle or whatever, I'll give you permission to download it right now while I'm talking. Actually, hold on. I'll tell you his quote, and then you can buy it. Uh, great book, though, Love Does. Uh, he has a quote that's, uh, that comes from the book. It says this. Jesus said the people who followed him should think of themselves more like ushers than bouncers. It's God who decides who gets in, not us. We're the ones who simply show people their seats that someone else paid for. I'm going to read that to you one more time because I really like it a lot. <laughs> Here's what it says. Jesus said, the people who followed him should think of themselves more like ushers than bouncers. It's God who decides who gets in, not us. 
We're the ones who simply show people their seats that someone else paid for. See, the way Jesus ended this interaction between him and this lawyer was by using three simple words. He said, go and do likewise. I guess that's four, isn't it? Those four simple words. Go and do likewise. I believe Jesus is telling us the same thing today. Go and do likewise. He said everything else, all the law, all the prophets, all the, all the other commands that I've given you in Scripture, all hang on this one thing. Love God and love people. I believe that's what Jesus wants for us. So let me pray for us as we go today, as uh, you go into this weekend. I pray it's a great weekend. You're having a great time with family and friends and that you uh, don't pass up the opportunities to love people. Lord, I ask for your help in this. We love you so much and are grateful to you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to remind us. Lord, uh, remind us of, of the opportunities that we have in front of us to love people. Thank you for your command that's so clear in Scripture to do this. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to, uh, to honor you, to, to obey you by loving people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.